Now I got tears in my eyes there. I'm pretty sure it's not just because it's allergy season. <clears throat> it's beautiful. It's good, good, good to worship. I forgot to mention one more thing before, so I, I just want to make sure I bring it up. Um, it would really, really help us. We're trying to get a handle on what the services look like next Sunday. If you already know which service you're coming through, it would really help us if you would RSVP. There's a lot of ways to do that. You can, you can get to it uh, through our app. Uh, you can get to it through our website. And of course, you can just use your communication card uh, to tell us uh, if you already know which service you're coming to. And if you're bringing guests, tell us that too. We'd love to know that. But it would just be tremendously helpful. We, we're trying to you know, make sure we have a handle on um, you know, balancing seating and how many chairs we've got out and all those kinds of things. So thank you if you can do that for us. So I'm going to pray one more time. And we're going to jump in uh, to the Bible. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is so good. And um, Lord, I pray that we already know that your word changes lives. We pray that we would be changed today. Lord, as we study your word, give us a real understanding of who you are and what you've done for us. Lord, may we leave this place different than we came. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So today we're finishing a series that we started like 438 years ago uh, in the book of Daniel. Actually, I think it was last fall. But uh, we've been in the book of Daniel for quite a while. And it's <clears throat> we could be here a while longer if we didn't do what we're going to do today. But Easter's next Sunday. We're going to start a new series next Easter, uh, next Easter, next week, uh, that we're calling Soul Care. I'm super excited about that series. A year ago, we did a series called Soul Detox. Soul Detox is about some of the things that need to be filtered out of our souls, some of the things you know, that need to be eliminated from our souls. Soul Care is going to be about the things that need to be put into our souls. It's about, it's about the love of Jesus, obviously. It's about grace. It's about contentment. It's about gratitude. It's about a bunch of other things that are going to be soul-changing for us. So today, we're concluding our series called Thriving, Not Just surviving. And what we've done is we've seen chapter by chapter in the book of Daniel changes in our perspective that shift our mindset, changes that need to happen in our mindset so that we can thrive in the face of adversity. You know, at the very beginning of the series, we talked about humility, that when I exalt myself, God will humble me. But when I humble myself, Jesus will lift me up. Chapter two, we learned, uh, we talked quite a bit about sovereignty. We said that in the end, God wins. And of course, we win when Jesus wins. We'll get into that today. In chapter 3, that famous story with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, we talked about how one of God's most common tools for building our faith is fire. Chapter 4, we learned about how God is most high, that Jesus has a way of teaching me who is king and who is not, Right? Right? We've talked about the kingdom, that I must decide every single day whether I will use what God has given me for serving God or whether I will use what God has given me for serving myself. Chapter 7, we had a great uh, couple of weeks actually on perspective talking about how I see God changes how I see everything else in life. And of course, it was in that great chapter where we get the, the picture of the Son of Man coming before the, on the clouds before the Ancient of Days. Last week, we were talking about prayer, that my prayers are often too small because I forget both the greatness of God and the greatness of His grace. Today, we're going to tackle something I don't do very often. We're going to do three chapters. They're all long. I'm not going to read all of them. I could, if y'all don't mind missing the masters. <laughs> Notice two people said that. So <laughs> he's got no chance. <laughs> Even though he's a tiger. But still, he's playing, right? That's its own. Uh, we don't have time to go there. So here's the thing thinking about these mindset shifts and thinking about the fact. <clears throat> excuse me, that today is Palm Sunday. And, you know, if you don't know, if you're new to Christianity, Palm Sunday is, is right, the week before the resurrection. It, rep it, it, it 
remembers for us the time when, when Jesus entered into Jerusalem as its king. And the people shouted, Hosanna, which means something like save or please save us. And the best thought is that the word Hosanna is a combo of two words. One word meaning please, the other meaning save. And they're calling out to their king. And what's sad is that over the course of the week, so many of those voices changed from Jesus be our king to Jesus be crucified. But we know, looking backwards, our perspective as Christians, that it's because he was crucified and resurrected that we crown him king of kings. And so today, I want to talk about that victory that comes because Jesus is a king and he's already won the victory. The victory was achieved on the cross, it was proven in the resurrection. And yet we live somehow between the victory that's already won and the victory that is not yet finished. And our lifetime really is in that gap if you think about it. So there are a lot of verses that tell us about how to live in the battle between the already won victory and the not yet finalized victory. Already achieved, not yet brought to completion. For instance, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, and put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You might be familiar with Colossians chapter 2. Verse 13 says, When you were dead in your sins... And in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. And he took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a spectacle over them, a public spectacle of them, triumphant, tri that's a hard word to say verbally. Yeah, triumphing over them. How? Triumphing over them by the cross. And of course, there's that famous word of Jesus in John 16, verse 33, where Jesus said, I have told you these things so that you may have peace in this world. You will have trouble. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. There are many other places this shows up in Scripture, and we don't have time to examine all of those. But let me just suffice to say today that if I could sum up what I'm trying to get at you today, if I could say the whole thing in a sentence, really like the one singular thing this message is about, it would be this idea that the victory is won. And as believers, we should be confident and find our strength in Jesus as a believer in Jesus Christ, I need to live with a perspective. This is a shift in my mindset that helps me endure in the face of suffering, that helps me trust in the face of suffering, that helps me go forward in the face of suffering. And the perspective is that the victory is already won. And so what I should do is be confident, specifically in Jesus, and find my strength in him. That's what these last chapters of the book of Daniel are all about. We live between, again, the victory that is already won and yet not, not yet fulfilled. There's a gap here, if you will. You could say, in fact, the Bible does say, we live between two comings of Christ, right? We live between his first coming, where he laid down his life, paid for our redemption, and achieved his victory, and his second coming, where the final victory will be won, where the world will be changed, and where literally there will, in result, in time, be a new heaven and new earth. Literally, heaven will come down to earth. This is what the book of Revelation tells us. And oddly, the enemy, the devil and his schemes, wants us to believe that the opposite of this is true. The enemy wants us to believe that the battle is lost that there is no hope, that there's no point 
in trying to fight. There's no point in trusting God that our lives are lost, that our hopes are lost, that our souls are lost, that there's no point in having any faith that we should just give up and believe the worst and act the worst. Don't be confident, be depressed, sin more, give up all hope, abandon God, and just live life all to yourself. That's what the enemy wants us to believe. And not only the book of Daniel, but many, 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 many other places in Scripture remind us that Jesus came for the first time to achieve the victory, and he'll come a second time to make it so, to bring heaven to earth. It's like this. Does it seem to you, like, like time is just weird, right? It, it just is. Like, I can blink, and I was talking with somebody before service, right, that like, Easter's next week. I said, don't worry about it. Christmas is like three weeks away. You know, it's just the way time feels sometimes. And yet, over a lifetime, time can feel a blink, and time can feel slow all at the same time. And, you know, we live as believers between these two comings of Christ, and the New Testament makes it sound like he came the first time, he lived, he taught, he died, he was buried, he rose again. The New Testament makes it sound like we're on the verge of his coming again the second time. And that's because from eternal perspective, we are. Because our lifetimes, you know, compared to eternity, are, you know, here to here, and eternity is everywhere. It's a little like this. You ever, you ever get the other side of the Cascades? And I just envision for me, you're camping like somewhere well south of Bend. And you can, through a telescope, let's say, look out. And through the telescope from a distance, you can see the three sisters. From a distance, from a telescope, the three sisters will look like they're right on top of each other. Have you, have you had this experience before? You, you see something in the distance, and it's, it's a long ways away, and it looks like it's all just lined up just right there, just on top of each other. But if you were hiking the three sisters, not just near them, but summiting them, you would find along the way that the aches and pains would remind you that, that these mountains sit some distance apart and that moving from one to the other. See, the difference there is perspective, right? When you're in it, when you're on it, ugh, this is hard, step by step, moment by moment. But from a distance, someone can look at it and say, those aren't that big. It's not that big a deal. It's just... It's just three volcanic mountains. I mean, who, who couldn't just, like, it just looks like this in my telescope. You just take, like, two steps, and you're on the top. But if you've ever done such kind of hiking, I mean, I, I get winded south of town, you know? Right? Spencer's Butte's plenty for me. This is the way time is sort of warped when we see things from God's perspective, that that things that to us feel very distant and far apart, the first and second coming of Christ, from God's perspective can be seen as, as on the verge of happening next. As the Bible would say it, we live in the last times. That the next thing, besides God's work through the church here on this earth, is the return of Jesus Christ and all that sets that up. So let me run through the book of Daniel and show you why I say that the victory is already won. Let me show you why I say that what I need to do is be strengthened in the Lord, that what I need in my faith is to be confident and find my strength in the Lord Jesus. I got five keys for adopting God's perspective on victory that come right out of 10, 11, and 12. We'll start with chapter 10. And let me give you this, just the big picture overview. Chapter 10, Daniel has a vision of a sort of unusual man. And it, what happens is Daniel is, is, is greatly weakened in this spiritual warfare. And he, he is given strength by this unusual man. Some would say an angelic man. Others would say this would be Christ himself, a pre-incarnate. Chapter 11 goes back to one of those chapters like 
like some of the others in Daniel where we get the battle between the king of this and the king of that, and it's back and forth, and it's going to sound all too familiar. We'll see in a minute. And chapter 12 tells us about one named Michael, the great prince of God's people, and frankly tells us about the resurrection. So let me give us five keys for adopting God's perspective on victory. Number one, there's a battle behind our battles, and so I need to find my strength in the Lord. Just, Just looking at it from God's perspective, there's a spiritual battle going on. Isn't that what Ephesians 6 told us we read just moments ago? Right? That, that God is at work, but the enemy is at work as well. And so be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power and put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's teams. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the powers. There's a battle behind all of our battles. And what we need is to find our strength. In the Lord. Are you going through any battles right now in your life? The enemy would have you believe hope is lost. That you might as well give up and give in. That there's no point in trusting in the Lord. That there's no point in fighting because the battle is lost. There is a battle behind our battles, but Scripture would tell us that the Lord has already won the victory and that we need to find strength in him. Daniel 10, I'm going to pick up verse 5. Let me, let me read there. Daniel 10, verse 5. Daniel says, I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like topaz, his face like lightning, his his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. It is my personal belief that this is Jesus. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision, and those who were with me did not see it. But such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. And so I was left alone, gazing at this great vision, and I had no strength left. And my face turned deathly pale, and I was helpless. And then I heard him speaking. And as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground." And a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you. Stand up, for I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. And then he continued, do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. That's comforting in its own way, isn't it? Your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. And then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. And now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. I just want to pause there and note that this this heavenly person, whomever he may be, says, I was sent to come to you, but I was delayed because there was a battle in the heavens going on while Daniel is living out a battle on earth. This is telling us, for our battle is not against flesh and blood. Right? It's against the forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This is telling us that If the battles of this world are all there is, then the strength of this world would be the only thing that matters. But the battles are not the battles of this world. In fact, often, what's really going on is something behind besides what seems is going on. And even if you're not a believer in Jesus, you would recognize the experience of watching two people argue 
and knowing that what they think they're arguing about and what they really are arguing about are different things, right? You've seen that happen before, haven't you? You've lived it, not just seen it, where, hmm, like something tells me that this is not exactly about that. We get so caught up in the physical battles of this realm that we forget often as believers about the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And I simply want you to see that God is battling on our behalf, that there is a battle behind our battles, and so we need to find our strength and our confidence in Jesus, in the Lord. Number two, this chapter is telling us that spiritual warfare is exhausting, and I need to find my strength in the Lord. I want you to note that Daniel is in the presence of either we would have to confirm it this way, either an, a grand angel of some kind or the son of God himself. And he is exhausted. He told us that here, that he was weak, that he was trembling. Sometimes in life, the battles exhaust us. We know that. But what we think is exhausting to us is simply the negative side of the battle. I think we forget that the worship side of the battle can be exhausting as well. And I don't mean this negatively about worship. I find that when I come and I worship Jesus, Sunday in and Sunday out, that on one hand, I am energized for the battles before me. Wouldn't you find that to be true in your life? But I also find that on Sunday afternoons, I am depleted. Because what we do here is spiritual warfare. And that spiritual warfare is exhausting. He said, are you just saying that every Sunday afternoon you need a nap? <laughs> Mostly, yes. But I think we understand that for the wrong reasons, that we think the reason we need the nap on Sunday afternoon is because we're tired from the week. When the reality is that our worship of the Lord, when we really experience the presence of God, leaves us where it left Daniel. What did Daniel say? Verse 8, I was left alone, gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale. I was helpless. Now pick it up, verse 15. While, again, I'm going to say I believe this was Jesus. While he was saying this to me, I bowed down with my face toward the ground and was speechless. And then the one who looked like a man touched my lips and I opened my mouth, and I began to speak, and I said to the one standing before me, I am overcome with anguish because of the vision, Lord, and I feel very weak. How can I, your servant, talk with you, my Lord? My strength is gone, and I can hardly breathe. And again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. Do not be afraid, you who are highly esteemed. Peace, be strong now, be strong. And when he spoke to me, I was strengthened. And I said, speak, my Lord, since you have given me strength. And sometimes what our souls need, we'll dig into this with soul care in the weeks ahead. What our souls need is just the touch of the Lord to put strength back into our lives. We chase the fountain of youth. We chase everything under the sun trying to be strong, better said, trying to appear strong. When often in reality what we need is simply the strength of the Lord. Verse 20 said, so he said, do you know why I've come to you soon? I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go, the prince of Greece will come. But first, I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. No one supports me against them except Michael, your prince. 
And the first year of Darius the Mede, I took my stand to support and protect him. And it's sort of, again, we've talked about this in Daniel. It's, it's, it's this big perspective sort of outlining hundreds of years of history, right? The, the battle between the Jewish people and the Babylonians, the battle between the Babylonians and the Persians, between the Persians and the Greeks and some of the leaders. And chapter 11 is going to get back to that. Kings of the north, kings of the south. Who are these people? I simply want us to note here that spiritual warfare is exhausting because of evil on one side, admittedly exhausting, and good on the other side, also admittedly exhausting. And I suppose what I really want you to see is that what we often try to do is not spiritual warfare and neither. We just want to sort of escape all of it, pretend none of that's going on, and that leaves us sort of living life on earth on our own. And I would note for you, that also is incredibly exhausting. So if you give me the choice between life with the good one, and that's exhausting, and life on my own without anyone, and that's exhausting, and life with evil, and that's exhausting, my choice is pretty clear, isn't it? that I need to find my strength in the Lord because I've put my lot in the hands of the one who died for my sins on the cross, who's already won the victory. Number three, I'm not going to read all of chapter 11 for you. I would actually encourage you to go back sometime this week and read chapter 10, chapter 11, chapter 12, sort of see all together how they build hope as they go. But I want you to note just number three, that evil has a playbook. And I should find my strength in the Lord. It sounds like I'm repeating myself here today. <laughs> if you can't quite get the point of what I'm getting at today, you might just write these words down. Find strength in the Lord. See, evil has a playbook. And we've actually talked about this a little bit. But I just want to reiterate it today. That evil has a playbook, but so does God. And in the end, God's playbook wins. But we have a tendency to play the games of the world with the playbook of the world. Again, I, I would just sort of speak to my own tribe here, but I'm Baptist in background. And I, I read about denominational politics stuff sometimes. I was reading some of it this morning when I first got up. And it just turns my stomach. Because we think that the political games of the world solve the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And again, I am not at all against voting. I'm not at all against, you know, being good Christians in serving our country. I think Christians should serve in every realm of government. I, I'm not against these things. I simply want us to understand that there is a real battle going on and that in that real battle that is going on, evil is at work. And if evil is at work and there's a playbook in play, we tend to go, well, you've got to fight evil with evil what does that make me evil has a playbook find my strength in the lord i'm just going to read this little part of chapter 11 and what i want you to listen for especially if you've been all the way through this with us is whether or not this sounds like a repetition of some other things we've read chapter 11 i'm going to start verse 27 it says there were two kings all right, king of the north, king of the south. And we can debate all day long and sort of endlessly, right, like well past the masters who these kings are. But there were two kings, king of the north, king of the south, with their hearts bent on evil. And they will sit at the same table and lie to each other, but to no avail, because an end will still come at the appointed time. And the king of the north will return to his own country with great wealth, but his heart will be set against the holy covenant, against God's work, against what God is doing, and he will take action against it and then return to his own country. And at the appointed time, he will invade the south again, but this time... The outcome will be different from what it was before, and ships of the western coastlands will oppose him, and he will lose heart, and then he will turn back and vent his fury against the Holy Covenant, and he will return and show favor to those who forsake the Holy Covenant, and his armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress, and he will abolish the daily sacrifice, and then they will set up the abomination that causes desolation, and with flattery he will corrupt those who have violated the covenant, 
but the people who know their God will firmly resist him. And those who are wise will instruct many, though for a time they will fall by the sword or be burned or captured or plundered. And when they fall, they will receive a little help, and many who are not sincere will join them. And some of the wise will stumble so that they may be refined and purified and made spotless until the time of the end, for it is still come at the appointed time. And then the king will do as he pleases, and he will exalt and magnify himself above every god and will say unheard of things against the god of gods, and he will be successful until the time of wrath is completed, for what has been determined must take place. And he will show no regard for the gods of his ancestors or for the one desired by women, and nor will he regard any god, but will exalt himself above them all. And it goes on to say, instead, he will honor a god of fortresses. And it, it sort of goes on to talk about more of what will happen in this battle between the kings of the north, kings of the south. But in the middle of this, you get this very clear sense that these kings and kingdoms of this world are battling the same way we've read about all through the book of Daniel. And again, I would note for you, and we've talked about these, but the unholy trinity that are in play here. First... Very clearly, you have a very clear sense, there it is, that pride drives these leaders, pride. That two, they claim to be God, and three, there is destruction aimed at God's work and God's people. That there's pride in the behalf of the leaders, that they claim to be God and act like God, and there's destruction aimed at God's work and God's people. This was true earlier in the book of Daniel. It's true in what set up the book of Daniel. I mean, think about what's going on in chapter 2 when, when everybody's supposed to bow down at the statue. Think, think about chapter 3, everybody's supposed to bow down. Think about Daniel 6, you need to worship nobody except the king. That there is constantly in the book of Daniel this struggle with human pride with leaders who want to act like God or even claim to be God. It's almost as though pride tends to go to your head. Almost, right? It's, it's almost like there's an evil being out there who himself is filled with pride, wants to be God, destroys what God does, works to destroy what God does, and wants to take God's place. It's, it, you know, <laughs> it's almost like the rest of the Bible is true, because it is. Because behind the battles of this world are battles about pride and who is God and whether or not we'll participate in God's work or fight against God's work. So there's great disagreement about who these kings are. And we could, again, talk all day long about that. Some people will say this is set back when we were talking about the time of Antiochus Epiphanes and those guys back in history. And some will say that chapter 11 is really telling us about the future Antichrist. And I simply want you to say and see <laughs> that the playbook of the enemy in the future will be the same as the playbook of the enemy in the past. That no matter who this is about and what this is about, when in this world we see leaders filled with pride, acting like God, and destroying what God is working at in this world, we can recognize the playbook of the enemy. And I would again remind us that if I read the story of Jesus, it is the polar opposite of this playbook. Jesus came down, not up. He didn't grasp for God, Philippians 2 tells us, but he lowered himself again and again and again. I will tell you, Jesus did claim to be God. More importantly, he proved he was God, but that's only because he was God that he could claim it, and he was doing God's work for God's people. Which just leads me to number four. If we're going to think about the end of time and sort of how all this plays out at the end of history, I simply want you to see, number four, that every Antichrist in every generation will be the antithesis of Christ. And therefore, I should find my strength. Oh, come on. You guys got this a little better than that. 
Therefore, I should find my strength. Yeah. Yeah, because in every generation, there, is, there are ones who are working against Christ and against what Christ is doing. And at the end of sort of our way of looking at time telescopically, when, when God begins to finalize what will happen in the end, evil will follow the playbook of the enemy. I mean, I've, I've read the end of the book. It pretty well goes down. As symbolic and cryptic as the book of Revelation is, just like the book of Daniel, and as confounding as it can be, it is clear that there is a king, that he will win, that the victory was paid for on the cross, and that his way is not the way of the world, that it's not the way of pride, it's not the way of self-exaltation, and it it is not the way of destroying the humbling, the servanthood, the sacrifice that God is after. So let me just say again, every antichrist in every generation will be the antithesis of Christ. Find my strength in the Lord's... Brian, what are you you talking about? Every antichrist in every generation. I thought that like, you know, I got one of those books a long time ago and it was going to tell me about how the end was going to happen and I opened it and out of the back sort of flopped open and there was this great map back there about the end of time and it tells me there's a antichrist. So I want to read a few verses in the Bible for you about the Antichrist. These come largely from the writings of John. In fact, entirely from the writings of John. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. Now just pause there on this verse for a second. And I want you to note that we usually think of the word anti as representing the the meaning of like against. The Antichrist will be the one against Christ. But in Greek, the preface anti can also mean something like instead of. And I think it's equally likely that, that the Antichrist... In fact, what he says here, even now, many antichrists have come, often come not only battling against Christ, anti, but claiming to be Christ instead of Christ. And we should be leery of anything in this world that wants to take God's place in our lives. And I would just note for you that if we really understand things like the first and the second commandment, that it is common for us to make idols out of things of this world to replace Christ with things that aren't on par with Christ, right? I mean, whether it's the cash of this world or the pride of this world or the glory of this world or the lusts of this world, that there are all kinds of things that we make into idols instead of Christ. 1 John 2, 22, who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist denying the Father and the Son. So here we get this sense that That any person who denies that Jesus is the Christ is an antichrist. 1 John 4, 3, but every spirit that does not acknowledge that Jesus is from God, this is the spirit of the antichrist, which you've heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. I would remind us, evil has a playbook. Evil's been at play in this for a long time, long before the time of Christ walking this earth. 2 John 7 There's only one chapter in 2 John, so it's just 2 John 7. It says, I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. And it's sort of interesting here that in one of these verses he says, noting that Jesus is God, and in one of these verses he says that Jesus came in the flesh. In, uh, In other words, part of the heresy he was battling against was anything that would deny on one hand that Jesus is God or on the other hand deny that Jesus is human. 100%. Both ways. I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world and any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. So John seems to be saying in these verses that the Antichrist is not just like a dude at the end of time. But there are many spirits of Antichrist. Like evil has a playbook. Evil's at work. And 
Do you, do you hear what this is saying? By the way, I should note for you, I looked up the word antichrist in my Bible, and the actual word shows up in four verses of the Bible. I just read all four of them to you. Now, there are many other names that sort of that describe this person, the man of lawlessness and various other things. I'm not denying that at the end of, uh, at the end of what we would call history that there, that there will be an antichrist. I'm not, I'm not denying that. I'm simply saying that evil has a playbook and that every time in every generation there is an opposing of Christ or someone stepping in to replace Christ, we should see that as the spirit of Antichrist, and we should remove ourselves from that and find our strength in the Lord Jesus, which just leaves me with this last thing. This takes us to chapter 12, that God's victory is guaranteed, and as a believer, so is mine. God's victory is guaranteed, and as a believer, so is mine, and so I should find my strength in the Lord. We were singing that song just before the sermon, and you notice the energy that comes, right, with with, with singing to Christ, who is my living hope. And it's it sort of got that feeling of the old hymn, like up from the grave he arose. And there's just energy around the fact that the victory is won. That, that's, that's, that's what happens when we think about Easter, right? When we think about the fact that Jesus is not dead, but alive. That we can look back and see that his death has incredible meaning. But we can understand that because he wins, we win. And so over and over and over again, it seems in Daniel's time that the world wins. There were times where the Babylonians won. And there were times where the Persians and the Medes won. And there were times when others won. And it, it outlines the time when the Greeks win and, and when others win, when the Romans win. Over and over in Daniel's dreams and visions, you get this sense that God's people do suffer, but it's for a limited time. And that in God's time, God will rescue and God will redeem. That's the playbook of God. That it's built on the plan of God where Jesus Christ would enter into history, die for our sins, be buried, and rise again. And at some point in time, it will all be finalized. Daniel 12 verse 1 says, At that time, Michael, the great prince, who actually had been referred to back in chapter 10, the great prince who protects your people will arise. Again, historically, some people have interpreted this to be Michael the archangel. But there are many, 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 including many Jewish folks, who for years interpreted the name Michael to represent the Messiah. Uh, Michael, I think, means something like one who is like God. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise, and there will be a time of distress such as not happened from the beginning of the nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. And verse 2 says, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, and some to everlasting life, and others to shame and everlasting contempt. That he is giving us the picture of not only the fact that Christ will arise, but the fact that our arising, that the resurrection at the end of time is rooted in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And chapter 12 is sort of interesting. There's these conversations that happen and, and this stuff that goes on where you're, where you're just kind of like, you know, jaw dropped and trying to figure out what is all of this really about and what am I supposed to do about all of this? And Daniel ends up asking one of those questions like, well, how's all this going to play out? And what will the outcome of all this be? And I just want to read for you the concluding verses of this chapter. Verse 11. From the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there'll be 1,290 days. And again, sort of cryptic like much of the book of Daniel. And blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1,335 days. But as for you, go your way till the end. Daniel, you will rest and then at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. It's, it's as though the whole book ends with, well done, good and faithful servant. That your reward will come, but it comes in God's timetable. It comes because of what God will do and what God has done. And for now, what you should do is just go and live 
Just go your way. Just, just go and live for God. I am reminded that we are to find our strength where? In the Lord. And we have said all throughout the book of Daniel that when he is showing us what is happening somewhere in the past or somewhere in the future, in many senses, he is telling us about this playbook, that he is showing us what always happens. And he is certainly admonishing the believers in Daniel's day that when you see evil winning over good, you want to make sure you see what God is up to because there will be a moment God will win. And it doesn't always look like it on this side, the human side. But God is victorious. In the end, I believe all 12 chapters of the book of Daniel tell us about the person of Jesus Christ. I'm just going to end with this and we'll pray our two prayers. Jesus in the 12 chapters of Daniel. Chapter 1 points to the fact that Jesus is the one who willingly left his home to embrace a sinful world without ever defiling himself even once. I mean, it was about Daniel chapter 1, right? But it's pointing to the bigger Jesus, right? The better Jesus, chapter 2. Jesus is the stone the world has rejected, the stone that God will use to be a king, build a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Chapter 3, Jesus is the one like a son of the gods who is God with us in the fiery furnace. Chapter 4, Jesus is the king of heaven who is able to humble all those who walk in pride. Chapter 5, I believe Jesus is the hand that writes on the wall of all of our hearts that our days are numbered to, that our lives have been found wanting. And yet he will give us life so that we will be saved. And it is that hand that was writing on the wall scarred for eternity because they paid for our salvation chapter 6 jesus is the true and better daniel who was not rescued from death in the lion's den but rather gave his life and emerged from the tomb the next morning both alive and vindicated by god chapter 7 jesus is the son of man coming on the clouds before the ancient of days chapter 8 he's the prince of the heavenly army and the prince of princes Chapter 9, he is the anointed one, the ruler who will die and have nothing left. But the story does not stop there. Chapter 10, he's the one whose eyes are like flaming torches. The one who looked like a man that gave Daniel strength we just talked about today. Chapter 11, Jesus is the anti-antichrist. In other words, he is the Christ himself. He is the opposite of the Antichrist at every turn. He doesn't abolish the sacrifice. He is the sacrifice. He isn't full of pride, but rather serves in humility. And as God, he stoops to serve rather than be served as the king of kings. Chapter 12 tells us Jesus is the resurrection and the life. The whole thing tells us the victories found in Jesus. I just want to encourage us to find our strength. Yeah, yeah, because he's the one who's strong. So I always end our services with two prayers. The first is a prayer of salvation, and if you need salvation today, if you need forgiveness today, if you need grace today, Jesus wants that. He died for that, and he wants you in his world. If you need Jesus today, maybe you just receive and ask for his grace right now. The Bible says what we do is we turn to him, we repent of our sins. And we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord. We believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. So maybe you'd pray like this with me. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins. Jesus, I turn to you. I ask for strength in you. And I ask for what I don't deserve. That you would not only save me, but come live in me. And forgive me. And take over my life and be my God. Help me to live for you. And more importantly, live in you. Find strength in you. In Jesus' name. Amen. If that's you and you prayed that prayer, maybe online or with me here in the room for the first time today, 
man, I'd love to celebrate that. We'd love to know that. You can tell me on a communication card. You can find me in person. You can email me. I'm Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at harvestchurcheugene.com. But just tell me, tell somebody, because it's exciting when we become a part of the Lord's kingdom. And there's so much we want to equip you with, we want to help you with, we want to tell you about. We talk about baptism, we want to give you a Bible, there's a bunch of other things we want to help you with. A lot of you prayed that prayer, or one like it, maybe a few weeks ago, maybe a lot of, a lot of years ago. And yet you realize today that today you need the strength of the Lord. Is that anybody besides me? Yeah. So would you pray with me this prayer of application, this prayer of discipleship? Dear Jesus, thank you that you have won the victory. Never forget. Help me never forget. That everything needed for victory in my life is already won. And I confess that I often live defeated. And so I pray that you would deliver me. And while I wait between the already won and the not yet finalized, I pray that you would touch me with your strength as you touch Daniel. Help me to live for you in humility and servanthood. In Jesus' name. Amen. It's good news, isn't it? It's good news. So what I want you to do today is I want you to go in that victory. All this week, all the spiritual battles you see happen, all the battles you face on this side, I want you to go with the perspective that the victory's already won. Because of what happened 2,000 years ago, we'll celebrate it again next week. If I can do something for you, please let me know. Remember again, back at the back, we've got baskets for communication cards. There's a box for our offerings. And of course, if you're our guest, uh, we'd love to hear from you on those communication cards. We don't expect you to give. Those of us that consider Harvest our home, gladly take that on. Go in victory today. I love you guys. I'll see you next week.